Small Business Focus on The Money Show. The Small Business Focus brought to you by SME ProPack. Welcome to the new world of business. Pablo Fatidi is with me in studio. Um, why are you wearing spandex shorts this evening? You want us to be agile and flexible. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> You weren't meant to say that. We had a deal. We had a deal, but I broke the deal. I'm so sorry. I can't be trusted. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the times have changed. Bruce, the business models that people were so dearly in love with and enamored with in the early 2000s leading up to 2008 really don't have, I think, much space in place today. What were those business models and why they're no longer relevant? Well, we're going to use four, four ways of looking at them. We're going to look at place and people, plant, in other words, machinery and money. So in those days, the thicker the business plan, the heavier the third factor, the more likely probably you would get some finance from a funder somewhere. In those days, you needed a domicilian exutandi, as it's written in all the shareholders' agreements <laughs> oh, and everyone yes, else. Yes. You needed a solid place of work. Ideally, in many applications for credit, you needed a landline with telecom so people could find you and hunt you and get you if they needed to. Mm-hmm. You needed to employ people who had skills and you needed to bend over backwards to hold them on board and add a whole lot of caveats in the agreements with them. And then ideally, you needed to have some strong assets that I could see and touch and feel in order to believe that you had a real business. Thank goodness Facebook never went through that process. Thank goodness they didn't. <laughs> and yeah. that's the exact point. Yeah. So times have changed. A couple of things are driving this. The first is, since 2008, everyone got the shock of their lives. All of a sudden, companies had to move fast. They had to move quickly in order to strive to survive, never mind strive to thrive. They were absolutely desperate. And they realized that many businesses had lost a focus on their core. They had added layers and layers and layers to this onion. had gotten big and fat and lazy and heavy. They had realized that their businesses weren't agile enough to respond quickly to the changes that took place. And many businesses have fallen by the wayside as a mm. result. And those that took time to respond, Bruce, are still struggling to actually hold it together today. I, I, I spoke to a guy the other day who was saying businesses are made to be created, to generate wealth for a generation. And then they should be sold off and uh, amalgamated and, and assimilated into different businesses. Effectively, they should be closed down. It's quite hard to fix a broken business. And he's very cross with uh, the, the good to great man, Jim Collins, because Jim Collins then built, wrote the next book, Built to Last. Mm-hmm. He says it's the biggest load of Rubbish. Businesses aren't built to last. They're built to be sold and pensioned off at some point. Um, and, 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 you know, because you need fresh, you need ideas, you need and, – and lots of legacy businesses struggle as time goes on. They do. They do. You know, we've spoken about this idea before where you get trapped by the images of your past. So if you've been in a business that's thrived and survived and done well and conditions and the business environment changes – it is incredibly hard, incredibly hard for someone to see the shape of that business differently. So in many ways, whilst I don't agree that a business should last a generation, I certainly agree that you need fresh executive management, mm. a fresh CEO. There's, we should really do a show on when is it right to sell your business because that timing issue 
is absolutely vital. Well, let's do that then. We shall certainly do that. When okay. and, and, and also, I mean, uh, he, he was explaining to us how, you know, especially family businesses, multi-generational businesses, uh, and these businesses, uh, why do so many family businesses fail by the third generation? And he says it's not because people are useless and lazy. It's just because they don't care. And his particular is a Canadian business writer. He, he, he's run family businesses for, for years. And basically he says, you know what, don't pass your family business on from generation to generation to generation. Because who says that Johnny wants to be an optometrist or wants to be a pharmacist or wants to own the fruit and veg shop? Maybe they want to do something completely different with the business. So you go to the person who might inherit that business and say, will you pay me for this business? The market value is 10,000 rand. Give me 10,000 rand and you can have it. And the guy, you want me to take risk with my money in this business? Are you crazy? Well, there's your answer. They're not prepared to risk it and run it properly. However, if they're prepared to put their own money into it and then they buy the business, they might inherit that money back in a year or ten's time um, as, as part of the normal cycle of life. But they've been prepared to invest in that business. They've been prepared to take risk. I'm 100% in agreement with that. If you think about the absolute truth of business, its destination is going to be one of two things, a sell or a closure. Yeah. Because at some point, the entrepreneur, the founder has to go. Unfortunately, it might be 103, if I heard correctly, <laughs> but you are going to die. Yes. And given that, something has to happen to the business. In the family business scenario, the founder gets to a point where they turn on and say, I've put 35 years into this business. And now my young son or young daughter are stepping into the business. And in their eyes, they want to risk everything. That founder is saying, I don't have a second chance at this. So if you don't have that kind of relationship where a proper market-related deal is done, then Bruce, I'm on the page. You should sell at market value, be it to your family or be it to a buyer, without a doubt. Okay, I want to know how a couple of guys, and you, you deal with people all the time, how they are creating agile businesses. Will you tell me some tales? I certainly shall. Well, why don't we push pause on that thought? And I want to come back to find out about four agile individuals doing agile things to make their businesses more agile in a moment. Small Business Focus on The Money Show. Pablo Fatidi, so give me some stories, please, of people you work with, people you know who are doing amazing things to adapt their businesses to make sure that they are sustainable and can be grown and can be, uh, and can be developed. Okay, I'll give you, uh, I'm going to talk about four individuals in order to talk about the people, the place, the machine, and the money. And these are people that I do work with, they're real people, and these are trends that more and more entrepreneurs I work with are saying, I want that too. Okay, moving towards agility. So the first thing, Bruce, and this is a very, very um, alarming issue because in South Africa, we are hoping that it's going to be the entrepreneurs that create the jobs that are so desperately needed out there. Our Minister of Finance has said that that's where the jobs are created and that's what everyone Mm -hmm. is holding on to. And yet more and more entrepreneurs I'm working with are saying, oh, you know, Agility, I need agility. Without a doubt, I need agility. But people make it incredibly hard to develop an agile business. And the things that are really creating the obstacles, the treacle, the stodginess, the things that slow it down are things that are really beyond any one entrepreneur's control. They're environmental factors. So there's a strong argument that says for a small business to cope with current labor laws, that were designed really to look after big business environments 
They don't have the resources and the capability mm-hmm. to do it. And that argument's been raging on for some time. In fact, the new minister of small business has even stated so herself. The second thing is our educational system is not producing a workforce that is impeccably numerate and literate. And the world of work has graduated to a point where you need smarter, more able, more adept people in the workplace to cope with everyday life. And those two big factors are really creating problems. There's a third element that was alluded to a bit earlier, and that is that the relationship between business and labor has deteriorated to quite a large degree. The communication quite, and the flow of it. Quite a large degree, yes. Yeah, that communication flow has been broken. You know, it needs to be fixed in some shape or form. So when I spoke to Kevin, who's running this business, he came up with an idea. He left the financial services sector, hated it after 2008, 2009, and started a business in the tech space. Bruce, he's got six employees. The first employee lives in Russia. The second one in Greece. The third one in Bulgaria. The fourth one is a hippie who drives a combi and goes surfing around the American coastline. The fifth one sits very close next to him in his house, his wife, and himself. What do they do? Run some kind of 419 scammers? <laughs> in five years, he's met them three times. He moved his business to in this particular instance, the UK, because there's some new tax laws over there that make it very, very appealing to start up a business and take some big risks. He uses broadband with great speeds and great density to communicate every single morning with all five of his colleagues. And they run and build this business in a virtual space. So the idea that you have to have people reporting to work from eight to five, a place of work with a workstation and a desk, which takes up more space, that creates more overheads and more rent, which requires you to sign long-term leases with landlords, that space is starting to change quite dramatically. And the idea of how you work with people, given what we spoke about last week, where 40% of American working adults are freelancers, is changing dramatically. So Kevin is a very good example of having created a business with permanent employees, highly incentivized, but it's completely mobile and agile. What he can does chop the and change do? It. It's creating a competing product to Skype. He got fed up with the fact that every time you have a Skype conference call, the calls drop. What, what, it, exactly. Like the, that. The, yes. He's tired of that. And they're busy developing an application that's going to deal with that. And he's doing this across not only countries, but he's doing it across massive geographies. Massive geographies. Using Skype, I take it, to hold meetings because he hasn't got his own product developed yet? The product is developed and they're earning revenues. Okay. Yeah, they're sitting now at around about $1.5 million a year revenue. Very nice. Mm, very nice. Very good. Um, and, that, and that's been massively innovative and massively agile and petrifying for 90% of people who run their businesses because they don't feel like they've got control. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. We think that we need to see a staff member in order to believe that they're actually doing the work. Absolutely right. Mm. So, another story. So, Kevin's story is a goodie. I like it. Next one is Place. I work with this entrepreneur. His name's Greg. And he was in the creative industry and still is in the creative industry. In other words, the advertising space and advertising industry. He lost his job. He's in his early 40s. And hell, man, he's got overheads. Wow. You can imagine a wife, two kids, pressure, etc., etc., etc. That industry's taken a lot of pain and strain during the last four, five, six years. And what Greg went and did is said, hang on a minute. I see 
companies like Indiegogo, or not Indiegogo, uh, 99designs.com that originated out of the States, where they got a whole lot of creative people like me and tried to match me to corporate requests for creative work. But the big problem over there is that when the corporate asks for a service, it's asking for a service from technicians like me who can't come together and coordinate an entire package. So if you think what's required, for example, in a brochure, there's creative design, there's desktop work, there is strategy, there's scripting, there are quite a few features. Mm. And they have gone and started a business, they started the business a year and a half ago, to work with corporates to consolidate a need in that corporate and then issue that need to the 10,000 people that they have around the world as registered scriptwriters, designers, desktop publishers, and brand strategists. Blackson. They have destroyed the idea of space. All of them work from their homes, Bruce. There's no longer a big building with many Coopers parked outside and cool-looking people inside. Okay, the argument against that, and many people in the traditional advertising space would say to you, but we feed off each other. We, the, the interaction, the spontaneous interaction, it's very hard to be spontaneous if you have to dial up somebody on Skype and say, hey, I want to be spontaneous with you right now. How about this idea? Sometimes ideas just spark. They do just spark, but here's the thing. Whenever they ask for a piece of scripting on a brochure, out of the 10,000 people registered on the other side of their business model, maybe 2,000 are scripters. And on top of it, they're right around the country or right around the world. So it's a 24-7 service. And because they broadcast who succeeded in each and every bid and what the ideas were, through that it generates a community that they very cleverly have gone and engendered. Okay. No longer yeah. is place needed. Um, all right. And then give me, oh, I've got time for one more. Choose your, your last favorite one. Okay. My last favorite one and the one that as a South African, is most distressing, is the number of entrepreneurs that I'm working with at the moment that say, I want automation in my business. Now, we've been hearing about the minds talking about mechanization. Automation is slightly different. And this particular entrepreneur, Anna, is uh, she's super smart. She runs a consulting type business, works with very, very clever people who are very, very difficult to work with because clever people often have what they believe to be clever ideas and clever opinions, and they enforce them, as we might have heard this evening on radio in certain cases. So with clever people, the business becomes really dependent on them in many ways. In the second instance, clever people don't want to be bogged down with admin and non-value-adding tasks. But every business task has that component to it. So what she went and did is she broke up all the steps that these clever people do in their everyday lives. And Bruce, during the course of last year, she automated 86 steps. And what that has done today, it has created an environment where clever people want to work because there's less admin over there. Yeah. Secondly, it reduced the admin component of her staffing. And thirdly, the scary thing here, is that she got this thing done for free using Indian-based software companies that have open-source technology. That business now is able to be lifted and dropped in one or three or 15 different destinations, 
all the processes are fully automated and it's created mobility like that company has never had before. What has happened to the so-called clever people? Are as many of the so-called clever people still employed? Because now they, they actually are exposed. They have to have more clever ideas. They have to actually be more creative. Um, what's happened to them? Well, the irony is that the clever people are now prepared to actually work in that organization for perhaps not as aggressive salary structures because they know that their time will be spent doing clever things instead of the admin tasks that they had before. It's given them a new lease on life. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's fantastic. And, and she's done it for nothing. She's done it for nothing using free open source software. Pablo Fotidis from Auric Business Incubator every Thursday night shares his business insights uh, for us. And I hope you learned also something there this evening too.